name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. My beloved, today is the first Sunday of the Coptic year, and the first month of month of Tut. The church during this month speaks to us about the love of God the Father, um, and you'll find that St. John the Baptist uh, is mentioned, you know, in the beginning part of this year. Um, and he spoke about the St. John the Baptist as being the greatest born among uh, women. And then right after this, because he's witnessing to the ministry of St. John, and what was St. John's ministry? What did he come preaching? What was the first thing he said? Repent, right? He said the first thing is repent. And based on the people's repentance, they were baptized. So the Lord now is praising St. John's ministry and validating it by saying he is the greatest among those born of women. And it says that when the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. So when he says here the tax collectors justified God, this is, means that the promise that God has given is just and he's faithful in his promise in accepting the sinners and their return. And this was evident through their baptism of John. Then he says, But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves on having been baptized by him. Then the Lord gives an illustration about children playing in a marketplace. And this was a common uh, kind of uh, play that was done between the children and the marketplace that his hearers were very familiar with. So it had like two groups of children. One of the uh, groups of the children would uh, like play the flute and then the other side would dance. The other one side would mourn and the other side, you know, so it's kind of like this play that would go back and forth. So he's saying that St. John came um, in, in like asceticism and wearing like camel's hair and eating locusts in a very ascetic manner, like a mourning manner, and they didn't repent. And the Lord Jesus came to them dressed, you know, in the common way and he was eating and drinking among them, right? And they still didn't repent when he came to preach repentance. So he said they're like these children playing in the marketplace, but they're not responding to any of the cues the other group of children are making. So he's saying to the Pharisees, I sent you John, and you didn't like him, and I, and I it came myself, and you didn't heed my preaching as well. Then he says at the end, he says, but wisdom is justified by all her children. Wisdom is justified by all her children. So he's saying that John's austere lifestyle and his call for repentance, perhaps some didn't understand it. But the Lord affirmed his message uh, of St. John um, and validated it by the baptism uh, that he did because the fruit of his ministry proves his authenticity because he called the people to repentance. Um, and the Pharisees and lawyers, they witnessed this call to repentance and they did not repent and they rejected it. And if you think about what this verse, uh, the wisdom is justified by her children. This is what we'll speak about very briefly this morning. What does this word or what does this phrase mean? If we think about why the Pharisees and the lawyers didn't repent, the Lord tells us in the beginning... He says, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. So, why did they heed? Because they rejected the will of God for themselves. 
Um, what is the will of God for humanity? What is the will of God? Of course, it's our salvation. Look what he says, uh, St. Paul says to Timothy. He says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, number one, and number two, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So he says, the first desire of God is that all men are saved, everyone, the whole world. And number two is that everyone comes to the knowledge of the truth. So anytime somebody works against the salvation of everyone and works against the truth, they don't have the will of God in their hearts. They're not fulfilling the will of God for themselves. And in John chapter 17, <clears throat> the Lord uh, is praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is something John was just, you know, earshot away and he heard what the Lord Christ was saying to his, the Father. And listen to the prayer that he says. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So he's saying to the Father, I'm praying not only for the disciples who are with me, but also for everyone who will believe by their word, which would be all of us, right? And all of the Christians from all generations. What is he praying for? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So the Lord's desire is that all of us be united with him. And he continues, that they all may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I give them, that they may be just one just as we are one. So look why he says, the glory that you gave me, this is the glory that I want for all of these people who will believe. So his desire and his will for us is to be unified with him, to be united with him, and to be glorified with him. And we sit there and we imagine, you know, a God who created the universe and then his subjects went astray and disobeyed him by their own free will. It'd be easier just to destroy them and make another one. He created all of us in a word, with a word. It's very easy, he created the whole universe just by his word. Wouldn't take much. But he says, no, I love them so much that I want them to be saved, not only to be saved, but also to have my own glory. This is amazing that we are even, you know, we're not worthy of this kind of love from Him. And this shows us, number one, the love of the Father for us. That He even gave up His Son to come to us, to save us and bring us and return us, that we might be glorified with Him. There are many, my beloved, who reject the will of God for themselves. And we can scour the Bible and we can come with many examples. But I'll just mention a couple of us and we can think about them ourselves, but this is not really what I wanted to focus on. Look at Pharaoh. The desire for or the will of God for Pharaoh was his repentance. And he sent uh, Moses time and time again, doing a miracle every time. And he was stubborn. He didn't allow God to work in him and he didn't accept any word of Moses. He didn't he rejected the will of God for himself. Judas was the same witnessed all the miracles of the Lord, all his teaching, and the forgiveness and the big heart that the Lord had. The woman who was caught in adultery, the woman at the sign of Simon Peter, Simon, the Matthew the tax collector. Everybody was invited with the Lord, and he had mercy on all of the sinners. And when Judas fell into the similar sin, he didn't believe that he had any place for repentance or to be you know, a follower of the Lord. And he denied the Lord's will for him in his life. We see the Pharisees uh, time and time again. 
that they rejected the will of God for themselves. Perhaps we look around us and we see our co-workers rejecting the will of God for themselves. We see our classmates rejecting the will of God for themselves. We perhaps see fellow believers, fellow Orthodox believers, rejecting the will of God for themselves. And what did we say the will of God was? Their salvation and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are many reasons why some reject the will of God. As I mentioned, stubbornness like in the example of Pharaoh. Some people want to do as I want to do and even if God comes in front of me and tells me otherwise, I won't do it. This is the stubborn heart. Also, a popular one is the excuses that we give. We don't um, fulfill the will of God for us because we give Him excuses. And the most famous excuse is, I'm busy. I'm busy. Do I read the Bible? I'm busy. Do we pray in the morning? I can't. I sleep late because I'm studying and then I wake up early and then I have to run out of school and go to class. I'm I'm busy. I'm not sure, Yanni, um, if you remember, there was a passage in Scripture where the Lord was speaking about a wedding feast and he went out to invite the people and then the people began to give him excuse after excuse. Well, I bought land, I married a wife, and so on. And he says, okay, leave them aside and go get everybody in the street. Meaning what? That the Lord actually didn't accept any of these excuses as valid. And we think about our salvation in the context of all that we do in the context of our salvation. Is there any excuse that we can give that's really valid in front of God? There's really nothing, no, no excuse. And we're not alone, my beloved. We're not alone in making these excuses. Even the righteous men and women made excuses in the beginning. But it was just the beginning. Remember when the Lord called Moses and he said, come, and he appeared to him in the burning bush and told him, come, I want you to free my people and go to uh, Pharaoh. What, is he, what did he say? He said, I'm not eloquent and uh, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So he gave him an excuse. I don't know how to speak. And I stutter. I can't go to Pharaoh. And he says, don't worry about that. I will give you words to speak and Aaron will speak on your behalf. But what if they tell me, who is it that's sending you? What am I going to say to them? I don't know who you are. He said, okay, tell them, if they ask who sent me, tell them Yahweh sent you. Right? Which is I am. And then he says, okay, but what if they don't listen? What should I do? He said, well, I'll give you miracles. So he kept giving excuse after excuse until finally... And he, he, he agreed and he went and we saw what God did with him. But these are the people who didn't heed the will of God for their life. Let's take three examples of those who did fulfill the will of God for their life and see if we can learn from them uh, and how we can you know, implement this in our own life. The first is our father Abraham. Our father Abraham, when he was called to leave his family, and not only his family, but the culture he grew up in, the neighbors that he lived with, a familiar place. He left everything. And God told him to leave this and come and follow me. He said, where are we going, God? Don't worry about that. I'll tell you when we get on the road. And he left. He left everything. Abraham believed in the power of God and his guidance. He believed that God is capable of protecting him. He's capable of providing for him. Not only him, but also his family. All their needs. He believed in the power of God. And because he believed in the power of God, he was able to fulfill the will of God for him 
and his family. Not only believed in the power of God, but also believed in the guidance of God. That where he leads me, I will follow. And as long as I am with him, I have nowhere else that I need to be. I only need to be where he is with me. And when there came a time where him and Lot couldn't dwell in the land together because they were they had too much any uh, possessions, Abraham didn't choose for himself, although he was the eldest. But he said to Lot, choose whatever land you want. If you go north, I'll go south. If you go east, I'll go west. Why? Because all that mattered to Abraham was that what? God is with him. He was here to fulfill the will of God in his life. And all he wanted was God and God alone. Reminds us of the famous psalm where David begins and says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does the sheep want? Only what the shepherd wants. Where does the sheep go? Only where the shepherd takes me. Right? Our father Abraham needed nothing except to be with God because he trusted in his power and his guidance. The second example is Our, is our Lady, the Virgin St. Mary, the Mother of God. She endured many hardships and difficulties patiently. The annunciation that was given to her that she will have a child without knowing a man is something that's unheard of. It's never happened in the history of humankind. But she accepted this. And she knew very well what came along with this. You know, and it's not something that happens. So what are the assumptions of the people when they see her pregnant? That she had a child outside of wedlock. And what's the result of having a child out of wedlock at this time? was for her to be stoned to death. So she said, well, the angel's coming to tell me a greeting that is supposed to be as, as a joyous greeting. And it's a joyous greeting, but this joyous greeting might cause me to suffer from my the people that I live among and perhaps will threaten my life. And what does she say? Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. She was willing to endure hardships and difficulty uh, difficulty patiently because her desire was to do the will of God and Him alone. And sometimes, my beloved, when we desire to do the will of God, we may suffer for it. But am I willing, like St. Mary, to suffer or to endure this patiently and to take it patiently? I feel, I feel sometimes, Yanni, nowadays um, we become very soft and very uh, fragile. Where suffering in our definition is not suffering at, you know, from our forefathers. Suffering now is somebody told me an insulting word and it wasn't even that insulting. Or somebody corrected me is now considered like some kind of insult. Right? How can we get to the point where we're going to endure hardships patiently if we can't take a word maybe of criticism or correction or guidance? Often heeding the will of God will require to me to walk the straight and narrow path and endure hardships. You see, Joseph the righteous did the same thing. His brothers threw him in a well and he was sold as a slave. Everything, all of this was done unjustly. And he was thrown in prison, stayed in prison. And we don't hear him complaining, rebelling. Again, he said the same thing. As long as you are with me, I need nothing but you. I'm here to fulfill your will. If your will for me is to minister in the prison, I will minister in the prison. I know uh, of a situation that happened uh, not here in Texas, in another uh, state, where uh, a young man was uh, 
was caught in the middle of some kind of uh, scheme. And the authorities caught hold of the scheme and uh, and these are any people, um, orthodox people. And they got cold, caught hold of the scheme and they caught everyone and threw them any, in prison and charged them. But one of the ones, this boy, he really didn't do anything. Even when he stood before the judge, the judge told him, you didn't do anything, but because of the magnitude of this case, I must do something. So he put him like in prison for a few months. Um, and this person went into prison, he was Orthodox, with another person who was again Orthodox, uh, and they're both together in prison from far from home. And uh, the priest was telling me that this one who was falsely accused was a, is a servant. And he was telling me that... Uh, um, that this one servant who was in prison, if it wasn't for him, maybe this other one would have lost his faith. So he was in the prison there, falsely accused, to minister to his fellow brother who was accused. So you see how God used him, and he allowed himself to be used by God, even if it meant he was falsely accused. This is high level of faith. And again, we see Joseph doing the same thing. He submitted to the will of God in their life. Please don't misunderstand me to, uh, that we shouldn't, you know, if we're falsely accused, we shouldn't say anything. I'm not saying this, right? But we allow the events of our life to unfold and we accept all of them uh, and we accept at the end of the day, I'm here to do your will, Lord. Where you lead me, I will follow. The last example is our, our father, Paul the Apostle. He too was faced with many difficulties and hardships. And I think if you think about his scenario, he was a Pharisee and he was like a die-hard Jew. And he was the one who had authority from the high priest to go get the Christians from other countries, like in Syria, bring them back to Jerusalem to try them and kill them. So he was super, influ super influential. So, and he knew the law very well. So his mind was 100% a fanatical Jew. And on the road to Damascus, the Lord met him and said, Why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then all of a sudden, his life turned upside down. I can imagine what's going through his mind. What about all the tradition I learned from my fathers? I learned how to pray the Psalms. I learned about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I learned all of this. And now... I'm thinking I'm doing God's service by going after the Christians and now it seems like I'm doing a horrible thing. Like, so imagine what's going through his mind. I'm sure he doubted everything he was ever taught. And I don't even know if he knew how to pray at that point. It said he prayed, but I, one, one day, and he got willing, I go to heaven, I want to ask him, what is it that he prayed on the road to Damascus? I don't know. Everything got turned upside down. But you know the beautiful thing about St. Paul is uh, that while he was going and fulfilling the will of God for him in his life, he was able to come to the realization that he was wrong or he was mistaken. If we think we can go through life and fulfill the will of God in our life and never think that, and think that we're always right, we'll never have the will of God for you in your life. He knew what he knew, but he said that God told him that you were wrong. And he accepted this and says, you know what, Lord? I was wrong. I was mistaken. Look how he describes, um, this was the reading in the Pauline today. 
perhaps one of my favorite parts of all of St. Paul's writing. Look what he says to his disciple Timothy. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into this ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So he ascribes that Christ calling him away from this way of life of persecuted Christians as a great mercy. I obtained great mercy from God because I did this ignorantly. And he says, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which was in uh, Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Sometimes and we pray this in the conclusion of every hour we say I'm the chief among sinners and we say it with pride in our heart we say it as we're judging somebody we say it as you know thinking oh what are they doing how are they dressing like this and why are they so we say all of this and we say I'm the chief among sinners but St. Paul believed it when he said this and he wrote this he believed it why? because he used to kill the Christians he used to pursue them and now Christ invited him not only to be a Christian, but to be a minister. He said, I'm not worthy. And he says, if I was like this, such a poor person before, and Christ accepted me, use me as an example for you. That just as Christ had mercy on me, he can have mercy on everyone. Use me as this example. And this is why he continues and says what? However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Do you think St. Paul would judge, can judge his brother? Somebody maybe who committed adultery or somebody who was cursing or somebody? No. Why? Because he was shown great mercy and he understood that I was shown great mercy, so how can I judge my brother? I can't. So he said, use me as an example. If God had mercy on me, he can have mercy on anyone because I'm really the chief among sinners. And if we say this really to ourselves when we pray it in the Igbeya, I'm the chief among sinners, it would be very difficult for us to judge somebody else if we believe what we're praying in the Igbeya. So we see in the life of St. Paul that he was able to admit his wrong and he knew God's calling for him was great grace that was granted to him as he felt unworthy. So we have before us today in the passage two groups of people. We have the Pharisees and the lawyers, and they rejected the will of God. And we have the tax collectors and the sinners who accepted the will of God for themselves and were baptized. And we said there are many who reject the will of God for themselves, maybe by being stubborn or many types of excuses. However, we learned from the three examples of the saints of how is it that we can fulfill the will of God in our life. Number one, we looked at our father Abraham, who believed in the power and guidance of God. Number two, we looked at our mother St. Mary, who endured hardship and discomfort patiently. And number three, we considered the life of St. Paul uh, and how um, he was able to admit when he was wrong and he knew that his calling to be a Christian was a great grace and he felt really unworthy to be a Christian and somebody who ministered 
to the Lord. If you remember in the story of the lost son or the prodigal son, who took half of his father's wealth and spent it on prodigal living, and finally when he was able to repent and he came to his father, he was grieving and he looked horrible and he smelled bad and he comes to the father expecting, he doesn't know really what to expect. He expects to be a servant and to just work in his father's house. And then as he's approaching, he sees his father coming, happy to see him, embracing him, and kissing him. What is he feeling at this moment? Does he feel entitled? Does he feel like, I deserve this? I deserve more? Does he think to himself, hmm, is my father going to give me another portion of inheritance so I can go spend it with my friends? No. He feels unworthy. He feels unworthy. Father, make me as one of your hired servants. But his father doesn't allow him to say it. He takes him and restores him as a son. He wanted the will of God for him in his life. Whom will be today? Will it be the Pharisee and the tax collector? Will it be the Pharisees or will it be the tax collectors and sinners? Wisdom is justified by all her children. So what will determine wisdom is the fruit of our life, the children, right? It will either be our fruit as our repentance will bear witness to us. Are we wise individuals or are we not? The fruit of my life will be the fruit of repentance, thus I'll be wise. The children that I beget, you know, if it's this is God's will for you if you're not married yet, to have children. What is the fruit that comes out of your life? What is the legacy you will leave behind? Is that you'll leave behind the fruits of repentance and the way of godliness for your children and your children's children? Or not? I'll leave you lastly with the example of the Rechabites who were a foreign people during the time of captivity. And Jeremiah was, you know, telling the people to repent, repent, and no one listened to him, and they wanted to kill him. And then finally he brought the family of Rechab, who was like the grandfather, and his son Jonadab, and then his Jonadab had his children. And he said to uh, Jeremiah, bring them, and let them come into the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink. So the prophet is going to give them wine to drink. You know what they said? They came into the house of God and they, Jeremiah said, have something to drink. And they said, no, we're not going to have anything to drink. And we're not going to build tents for ourselves, nor are we going to plant any vineyards because our father told us not to. He said, but I'm telling you as a prophet of God to do these things. And they said, no, our father told us not to. Is this not the desire of every parent? for our children to obey us and to obey God outside of our presence. This is our desire. So Jeremiah looked at the people of Israel and said, look, these people obey their father. And their father can't guarantee any reward. But God who is telling you to repent can guarantee a reward. And he told them, if you repent, I'll give you peace in your land. But they still refused and thus they were taken into captivity. They rejected the will of God for themselves. And the Rechabites were the foreign people accepted the will of God for themselves and their life. What will we choose uh, in our life? To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.